You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. We continue to hear the Word of God this afternoon in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and in Mark 9. We turn first then to Deuteronomy chapter 4 and read the first 40 verses. Hear now, O Israel, the decrees and laws I am about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. You saw with your own eyes what the Lord did at Baal Peor. The Lord your God destroyed from among you everyone who followed the Baal of Peor, but all of you who held fast to the Lord your God are still alive today. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when he said to me, Assemble the people before me to hear my words so that they may learn to revere me as long as they live in the land and may teach them to their children. You came near and stood at the foot of the mountain while it blazed with fire to the very heavens with black clouds and deep darkness. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. He declared to you his covenant, the Ten Commandments, which he commanded you to follow, and then wrote them on two stone tablets. And the Lord directed me at that time to teach you the decrees and laws you are to follow in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess." You saw no form of any kind the day the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully so that you do not become corrupt and make for yourselves an idol, an image of any shape, whether formed like a man or a woman or like any animal on earth or any bird that flies in the air or like any creature that moves along the ground or any fish in the waters below. And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things the Lord your God has apportioned to all the nations under heaven. But as for you, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron-smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of his inheritance, as you now are. The Lord was angry with me because of you, and he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land the Lord your God is giving you as your inheritance. I will die in this land, 
I will not cross the Jordan, but you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. After you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him, if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your forefathers, which he confirmed to them by oath. Ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the day God created man on the earth. Ask from one end of the heavens to the other, has anything so great as this ever happened? Or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds, like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You are shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth, he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. Because he loved your forefathers and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength to drive out before you nations greater and stronger than you and to bring you into their land, to give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so that it may go well with you and your children after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Now we turn to the Gospel according to Mark chapter 9. And read the verses 2 through 12. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. 
Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. And they asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah does come first and restores all things. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer much and be rejected? But I tell you, Elijah has come, and they have done to him everything they wished, just as it is written about him. This afternoon, we will give our attention to the second commandment of God's law, as that is explained for us in Lord's Day 35. The second commandment reads as follows, You shall not make for yourself an idol, in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And in Lord's Day 35, we confess the following concerning the second commandment. What does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Theologians often speak of the threefold use of the law. There's the civil use, which indicates that the the law serves the purpose of restraining sin and promoting righteousness in society. Then there is the pedagogical use, as it's called, which means that the law brings us under the conviction of sin. It makes us conscious of our inability to keep the law. And then there is finally the normative use. If you want to know the fancy Latin term, the tertius usus legis, the third use of the law. And that third use is the law as a rule of life for believers. Now, brothers and sisters, it's easy to bury the real issues by using fancy theological jargon. 
That's certainly something we don't want to do this afternoon. The catechism is plain already in Lord's Day 33 that one of the main functions of the law is to help us to live a life of true repentance and conversion. That's what we confess back in Lord's Day 33. That's why before we get into the Ten Commandments in Lord's Day's 34 through 44, we spend the Lord's Day, Lord's Day 33, on the topic of true repentance, conversion. Now, our inclination, like that of Adam and Eve, is to flee from God, to run away from Him, to, to turn our backs on God. But God wants us to face Him. That's really what repentance and conversion is all about. Repentance, conversion, is a matter of turning away from sin and anything or anyone else that would distract us and turning towards the face of God. Conversion is all about living Coram Deo. What does Coram Deo mean? Face to face with God. Living face to face with God. That's what true repentance, that's what true conversion is all about. That is what the Christian life is all about. The question is, though, how are we to live face to face with God if we cannot see Him? Not even Moses was allowed to see God. Remember what God said to Moses when he asked God to show him his glory. You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Before God would pass in front of Moses, you remember how how Moses had to be shielded from God's glory. There's a place near me where you may stand on a rock, the Lord said to Moses, when my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen, God said to Moses. Now if God forbids us from seeing His face, then He also forbids us from making any images of Him. Question answer 96. What does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship Him in any other manner than He has commanded in His Word. If God cannot be seen face to face, then He also may not be visibly portrayed. And that's what we confess in question answer 97. May we not make any image at all? And the answer is God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. Now what does this all mean, brothers and sisters? Does this mean that there is no such thing as an image of God? 
Not at all. What it does mean is that only God is allowed to create that image. And that is what He's done. God did that already at the creation of the world. How did He do that? By making man and woman. You remember what God said at the creation of man and woman? He said, let us make man in our image, our likeness. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. You see, only God is allowed to make an image of Himself, and that is what He did when He created humanity, when He created us, male and female. Yes. In other words, God wants an image of Himself. What is more, He wants you and me and all humanity to be that image. He doesn't want us making images of Him because we are made images of Him. This is something that our Lord Jesus eloquently proclaims in a discussion with the Pharisees about paying taxes. We read about that in Matthew chapter 22. I would invite you to turn there with me. Matthew chapter 22, the verses 15 and following. Matthew 22, beginning at verse 15. What we read there, Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said to Jesus, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? Show me the coin used for paying the tax they brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Now notice the question that Jesus asks the Pharisees. He asked the Pharisees, what's on the coin? Whose portrait? Whose inscription? Whose image? The answer is Caesar's. What follows from this? Well, Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. In other words, that which bears Caesar's image belongs to Caesar. By implication, that which bears God's image belongs to God. So if Caesar gets a coin, what does God get? 
He gets us, His image. We give to God by giving Him ourselves. Graven images, idols, as we also read about them in Deuteronomy 4, are really man's vain attempt at worship. But what happens? Let's think about that for a moment. What happens when we make these artificial images of God, these graven images, these idols? Well, they end up becoming a substitute for what we should actually be giving to God, and that is our very selves. By creating images of God, then, we are withholding ourselves from God. By presenting ourselves to images, we are turning away from God. By making idols, then, we are not only making substitutes for God, through which we hope somehow to have God within our grasp. I mean, if you have something wood or stone, you can touch it, you can handle it, you can control it. That's the one side of it. There's also another side. By making idols, we are also making substitutes of ourselves, by which we end up keeping ourselves out of reach from God. There was a time when we didn't see physical idols around us very much graven images, the kind that the Israelites encountered in Canaan. But that is quickly changing in our society and in our land, which is becoming increasingly post-Christian and pagan. Seeing graven images of Buddha, various Egyptian gods and animals, which are objects of worship and veneration, are becoming more and more common. Apparently, in West Berlin, there's even a Baal idol, I've read. If we're not inclined to fall down before such idols, we are certainly tempted to create heart idols. We do this when we invest divine status in in people or things, something that was already touched on in the first commandment. For example, when, when we make things the object of our devotion instead of God, things, I'm sure you can think of many examples, an automobile, electronic devices, homes, clothing, money, desire for power, desire for attention, whatever other things might take the place of God in our hearts, Not just, not just physical things, necessarily. We do this, we commit this sin against the second commandment when we invest divine status in, in people. When we make people the object of our devotion instead of God. A celebrity. An athlete. A leader. Political, religious, cultural. 
We, we might even be tempted to, to make an idol of, of a friend, a spouse, where we invest in them what we should be investing in God, our trust and our hope and our adoration. We might convince ourselves into believing that these things or people we are so attached to really help us in our service to God. Or even that if we had to do without them, we wouldn't be able to worship God. Or life would be intolerable. Well, when that happens, brothers and sisters, we are guilty of a grave sin. We are guilty of making an image of God. What must God receive in our worship then? What is God looking for from us in our worship? Not our devotion to images, to people and things. What does God need to receive from us? What is God looking for from us? He wants us in body and soul. Like we confess in Lord's Day 1, it was your only comfort in life and death. But I am not my own, but I belong body and soul to my faithful Savior Jesus in Christ. My faithful Savior Jesus Christ. I belong in body and soul to God. We must devote our entire beings to Him and not divide or replace our devotion to Him with devotion to whatever else. That's what God wants in our worship. He wants us. He wants you. Me. And what do we need to do when we worship? Or rather, what do we need when we worship? We don't need some sort of replacement of or augment to God. We need God Himself. And He has made Himself known to us. But now we come back to that question that we asked earlier. True conversion and repentance is a matter of living face to face with the living God. But how are we to live face to face with God if we cannot see Him? We've already mentioned Moses, who wasn't allowed to see God's face. Nor was Israel at Mount Sinai. This is something that Moses reminded them about in, in Deuteronomy 4, which we read. Verse, verse 12. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the fire. You, you heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. Israel saw no form. They saw no image. They saw no picture. They only heard a voice. The picture of God was an incomplete one for Moses and the Israelites. This was also reflected with the ark. You know how the atonement cover, the mercy seat of the ark, where God was said to be seated. God had said, there above the cover between the two cherubim 
that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. But you remember what that ark looked like? Even there, there was no one to see. That was God's throne, but you couldn't see Him. You could see the two angels, but not God. The mercy seat appeared to be vacant. There was no one sitting there. Well, brothers and sisters, this void in the Old Testament contained a promise. The empty mercy seat, that empty seat there in the tabernacle and temple was reserved for someone else. The vacancy was going to be, was going to be filled by the coming one, by Jesus Christ. No man or idol was allowed to take that empty place but Him, Jesus, the one whom God had promised. You see, the second commandment finds its true meaning and fulfillment in the coming, in the incarnation, in the enfleshment of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what John said about the incarnation. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. We've seen Him. And later, no one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. You see, finally in Jesus Christ is seen in human physical form the glory of God. Jesus Christ brings God's presence to us in human form. Like Paul later says in Colossians 1, He is the image of the invisible God, for God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. He puts it even more strongly in the next chapter, Colossians 2, verse 9. Listen to what he says there. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Christ Jesus, unlike all other images of God, is not merely a human attempt to create an image of the living God, Christ bears God's image perfectly. What about for us, though? Who, unlike John and the other disciples, have not seen Christ. We have not seen the image of God in human form in Jesus Christ. Well, in the first place, remember what John says when he stands in wonder of having seen Christ. We have seen His glory, the the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Notice that what John focuses on is not what Jesus looked like, but on the salvation that Jesus brought. Notice what he says in the next sentence in John 1. The verses 16 and 17. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
more than anything, that is what we need to be in God's presence, brothers and sisters. That is what we need to be face to face with God. Not, first of all, to be able to see Jesus, but to be received into God's presence because of the grace and mercy of Jesus. So, even though we don't have Jesus physically present among us, we may still enjoy the presence of God and live face to face with Him through Jesus. How so? Through the living preaching of the Word. That's how Jesus reveals God to us. Through the living preaching of the Word. Isn't it remarkable, brothers and sisters, that although we have physical depictions of other great men of that time, like Julius Caesar, everyone has a pretty good idea of what Julius Caesar looked like, and Nero, we have a pretty good idea of what they look like, but the same cannot be said of Jesus. No one has any idea what Jesus actually looked like. We know that he was a Jew. Beyond that, we have no idea. Nowhere in in the Scriptures are we given a physical description of Jesus. No physical depiction of him has been preserved, although there are people who claim that to be true. But they have no way of verifying that. Besides, We're just fine with that. We're just fine that we don't know exactly what Jesus looks like. We're fine with that. Because we have His Word. Through the reading and preaching of His His Scriptures, Jesus comes closer to us than any picture could bring Him. Even our brothers and sisters in the Old Testament were not completely in the dark about God, even though they couldn't see God's form, and even though the mercy seat was was empty. Even though there was that empty seat in the tabernacle. How did they know God? Well, they heard His voice. And because God's voice was among them, they could make great boasts over the surrounding nations about the nearness, the close presence of their God. Like we read in Deuteronomy 4. Remember what Moses said to the people of Israel. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to Him? Notice what it says in verse 33. Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of fire as we have? See, that is our boast, brothers and sisters, that we have heard the voice of God. Even though those Old Testament brothers and sisters of ours couldn't see God, They sensed that He was there. They sensed that they were living face to face with the Almighty God because they had heard His voice. And they were also given the promise that God would be near them. 
Remember what Moses told them. Verse 29 of Deuteronomy 4. If you will seek the Lord your God, you will find Him if you look for Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Isn't that what Jesus tells us too? Seek and you will find. How do we do that? By listening to His voice when He speaks to us in the reading and preaching of Scripture. The Scriptures are the voice of Jesus. And then we respond to that voice in faith. You see, brothers and sisters, that is what repentance and conversion is all about. It's seeking Christ with all our heart and with all our soul. It's casting ourselves upon Him. Confessing all our sins to Him. It is pleading for His grace and mercy to wash away all our sins and weaknesses. It's praising Him for the fullness of His grace and truth which has been made known to us. As much as it has been made known to John and the others who saw Him. It is living for Him with all our heart, soul, and strength. Isn't that clear also from what we read in Mark 9 about the transfiguration of Jesus? Peter said, let's make Let's make a shelter here so so that you can stay here, so that maybe more people can come in and see this. But then, what was Jesus? What 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 happened after that? When Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters: one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Then what happened? Then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my Son whom I love. Listen to Him. It's not about seeing Jesus. It's not about preserving a shelter where Jesus can be kept. It's about hearing Jesus. It's about hearing His voice and responding in faith. That is what true conversion is all about. Brothers and sisters, when we do that, when we respond to the voice of Jesus in faith, then we will find all our fullness in Him. Here again, we need to let ourselves be reminded that living a repentant life, living a life of true conversion is not about what we can offer God and how we can earn favor with Him That's often how it is presented, brothers and sisters. Conversion. You you need to be converted. So you need to do something to win God's favor. You need to change. That's not what Scripture teaches. Yes, of course we need to change. But it is God who brings that about. Conversion and repentance is all about what God has offered us and how He has shown His favor to us without any merit of our own. Remember what we noted earlier from Colossians 2. 
For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then Paul adds in verse 10, And you have been given fullness in Christ. You have been given fullness in Christ. Let's remember that when we struggle with our doubts and sins and weaknesses. When when we have that question, well, am I really converted? When we have those doubts, then no, we should not push them aside. Instead, we should look to Jesus. We should not give up and lose hope Instead, we should flee to Christ and remember that He is the one who gives us fullness and meaning. He is the one who transforms us into the image of God so that we are acceptable to God. He is the one who makes it. So that God is pleased with us when we offer ourselves to Him and present ourselves before His face. Jesus Christ is the one who makes it possible for us to live face to face with the living God without fear, with complete confidence that we will be accepted. You know what God's promise is, brothers and sisters? One day we will see Him with our own eyes. To use the words of Job, Job 19, the verses 25 and following, which can also be our confession. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end He will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see Him with my own eyes, face to face, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.com dot org.